good evening, and welcome to our show. Thanks for joining the Cherry Ice Cream Smile Podcast, a place where friends who just happen to be Durannies get together to talk about our love of music, pop culture, concerts, and of course, our favorite boys, past, present, and future. Hi, this is Suzanne. I'm Jody. Hi, this is Stephanie. Hi, this is Deanna. Hi. Today we're talking about the documentary, Something You Should Know About Duran Duran, that has um, recently been re-released. I'm going to say re-released because I don't think this is the first official release of the documentary that has um, recently been broadcast on Showtime. Uh, Some of us watched it uh, a while back, and then again recently, and then we've just watched it again. It was on the BBC. Yeah, BBC Mm -hmm. documentary. Thank you. Um, So we're going to um, talk about things we noticed, um, thoughts we had, memories we had, things that made us cry, because I cried again today while watching the documentary, um, about um, something you should know. I, I, I can um, say that I have watched this now three times. Nile today, the, the part where um, Simon talks about Sir, Rod, Sir Rogers, Sir Nile of Rogers um, being the savior of the band uh, when Notorious um, was the album of the time. I have the utmost respect for Nile Rogers and that um, he has been part of this podcast and that he is continually I think in almost every episode, the man's name has come up. He's in this documentary twice. I'm still going to forever refer to this guy as the Godfather because I think he may have saved our band, and he's part of the reason why we're all still here. So if anybody wants to follow that And up. Stephanie told him we call him the Godfather. He does that. He quite enjoys that. But it's it's the truth to what Jody says. I remember... If you recall in the documentary, you know, Nick referring to when they presented Notorious to their management team or their record label as, you know, we can't play this. It's too urban. urban. You know, I, I just remember first listening to Notorious on my way home. I was in the I was a sophomore. In high school, I want to say, maybe maybe a freshman, maybe a freshman. I was in the drill team my freshman year, so it was a Friday night, and we were coming back home from a football game, and I had the cassette, and I asked my mom if we could play it. So that was the first time I remember listening to Notorious, and I remember thinking it was different. But I liked it. And to Niles' point, but it was still Duran to me. It was still, and you know, yes, it was funkier, but I dug that. Um, I dug, you know, I loved that. You know, not knowing, obviously, when, when you're 13 or 14, not knowing the backstory of how it all came together. It, it truly is the reason, you know, Niall stepping in, how Sir Niall of Rogers stepping in, (laughs) the Godfather stepping in to give them a direction to musically to go in is truly the reason why we are sitting here recording this podcast and the mm-hmm. reason why I know you and I'm going to get choked up <laughs> thinking about that um, because um, I think even in the previous podcast when, when Niall had her surprise uh, call in to the show he is the reason and I'm pretty sure I told him then that you know we can pretty much tie anything back to him and it's the truth and so we're you know forever grateful for him stepping in and giving them direction not that they weren't capable of, of, of doing things on their own but he just was the icing on the cake and and gave them you know it sounds like a vision 
and they ran with it. Um, well, and, and I feel like in the documentary, it's talking about that they, he brought joy back to them. And there was the quote, <laughs> he one was, of the guys. They were talking about joy during the Paper Gods yeah. portion. Yeah. 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 But it said, when you see Niall playing his guitar and grinning, there is nothing else like that in the world. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. Yeah. If you've ever seen Sheik play, if you've ever seen Niall play live, he's always got a smile on his face because he's genuinely happy to be here and genuinely happy doing what he loves to do. And that's infectious. <laughs> and I, anytime we talk about Niall or anytime we have had the fortune to be around Niall, he just has this contagious energy that you cannot escape. It's I'm gonna get I should, a yes for life. And I believe yes. that he has felt <clears throat> that all of his life, but more especially lately because of all the um, health challenges mm-hmm. that he's had health wise. So, um, yeah, no, it's absolutely a lust for life on his part. I, I wrote down one of the times that I was watching the documentary some notes, and one of my notes was that to me, Notorious in itself never felt like a survival record, although in hindsight, maybe I just knew it was because it was just the three of them and the two other members who should have been there weren't there. Over the years, I have said that Notorious is my favorite Duran Duran album and that's almost sacrilege knowing how much I admire, adore, appreciate, respect Andy freaking Taylor, but it was Sir Niall of Rogers that made this happen. And John said, we were fighting for our lives at this point. And that's where the whole conversation about Mal came in. So um, it was just a, 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 they had to make something happen. And Niall helped them make it happen. And we're still talking about this album. And Notorious is one of my favorite parts of every freaking show. And it's just, this is such an important part of that documentary to me. Yeah, and the other thing about the documentary was there were, it was like these, throughout, throughout the documentary, and this is my second time watching it, it was like remembering these moments where we were talking about moments, just these points of time where they would highlight things, and it's like, okay, I remember that, or I remember this, the, the magazine cover or whatever, but it's more about the experience of, either hearing a song for the first time or experiencing the band for the first time or, you know, when they had the reunion tour and they're standing up there on the stage, you know, just in just a row of them just standing there and like thinking back to that moment. And that that was one point in the documentary where I just I got choked up because I was like thinking about all of that. And and just and then also going back to being a teenager mm-hmm. and remembering just being one of those crazy girls that was just losing their minds, you know, seeing them and hearing them and the videos and everything. And I loved how, I think it was, it was Nick or John that was saying, you know, when they, the album, the first album came out, it was like their plan was being set in motion when they, when they released their, their first album. And it was, I just, I love that, that they were, they wanted, they wanted, they were gearing for world domination and they wanted that, but they weren't arrogant about it either, you know, and, there wasn't anything about, yeah, they worked, they worked so hard and they were ambitious. They know what they wanted and they, they, they like, they they knew everything. They like the entire, like the music, the look, everything. And I just, I love that. I love that. I love the, I love the, the drive and the ambition with all of that, you know, and they were kids. Nick's part, right. And Stephanie said that, and I'll get to to that in just a second, but Nick's, uh, where he said that he took John to his first show, which we're all like, what? That's so cool. 
Um, Nick took John to his first show, and they would look at the trucks right. mm-hmm. outside of the stadiums to see how many trucks this band had mm-hmm. to make this thing happen. And they started thinking and planning Ahead. on right. these things. That they were, <clears throat> what, how old? He was 16 at the time? Yeah, yeah. 16. And while we were watching, Stephanie brought up the fact that, gosh, they were so freaking young when this happened. But they had a plan. Right. And they had a big plan, and they had big goals, mm-hmm. and they had dreams, and they freaking they meshed so well together. And I think what's something interesting about this documentary is, as you'll notice, they started in Birmingham, and then they moved into London, and then they ended up in L.A. L.A. Mm-hmm. And it's like, as they're telling the story, they're actually physically going for these different locations. Mm-hmm. And I think it was really fun at the first while they were all smushed in that car. And, like, <laughs> the they're Citron. listening to the music, the Citron, and, like, Roger's jamming in the back seat. And Simon's <laughs> <Yeah>. just like, <laughs> I and then what did Roger say about when he walked through that door that was like, oh, his, the, what was it? the rest of his um, life? Everything good in my life has happened because I walked through, through that, that door. door. That was amazing. That is mm-hmm. so fantastic. Which was so relatable, and I know you guys can relate also because we were watching it together. That made me choke up as well because... I thought at the time, okay, because Roger walks through that door, it's because the four of us are sitting here. I totally had that thought. You know, yeah. today we, we oh, created shit. a podcast. <laughs> it's true, right? <laughs> Roger walked through that door and everything good that's happened to his life. And, you know, you Duranis out there can can relate to this when, when you meet people who aren't necessarily in the community. And every we've talked about this. Every, every fan of music has their band and has a, a community of people that they gravitate towards because of their love of a favorite band. Um, but you, you Duranis out there know that you've met countless people because of this band. And if it weren't for this band, you wouldn't know the countless of people that you now call friends and very dear friends to you. You wouldn't know these people. And it's all because of your love of a band. So when Roger said that, it really, it really choked me up because it's so true. Because without him, this would not be the band. Right. I mean, we obviously can't do without that vocal. There, there has to be a Simon Le Bon in this band. It's even hard for me to appreciate the band as four with Dom because that's not the original who walked through the door. You know, mm-hmm. you know so yeah. that, that, that Roger can say that. Yes. And then John talks about the stars on the walk of fame and the right. Beatles. At the end, and yeah. Had they not been there, then he wouldn't be here. And then had Buddy Holly, Buddy Holly not been here, then the Beatles. Like, yeah. That that was pretty awesome. Too. Was I mean, well. yeah, we are all here. And I, when you said that too, I was thinking about Lucy and her current situation and how I I'm very proud that she felt um, close enough to me to reach out to me. I wouldn't know Lucy if it wasn't for this band. Right. I met Lucy this actually I met Lucy the same day I met you. Oh my gosh. Really? Yes. Okay. I thought uh-huh. you knew her before. No. Okay. Met her okay. on the same day. I actually just met her a couple of hours earlier than okay. I met you. <laughs> I met her outside of the tour bus. Yeah. We were yeah. standing outside of the astronaut tour bus taking oh my pictures. Gosh. Okay. And um I something was happening with her camera and I had um okay, this was back in two thousand four mm-hmm. or two thousand five. So I had a disposable camera and taking pictures. So we exchanged information and I told her, you know, I don't know 
know if these are going to come out any, any good. Um, but she actually came to my, my job at the time and I was like, these pictures really didn't, didn't come out right, but you're welcome to the copies if you'd want. And so she came up to my job and that's, that's how we met. So. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think something fun in this documentary, we are the one liners from Nick. <laughs> Nicholas. Like, oh, he's funny. So, he's so dry. dry yeah. but, <laughs> like, okay. So when he's talking about when Simon came, we didn't think Simon Le Bon was his real name. And it turned out it was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Even in that inflection, yeah, it was just like, yeah, yeah. It turned out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nick just oh, kind of Nick. slides that in there. You have to really pay attention yeah. to Nick, and it's hilarious. I love it. I love it. The sarcasm <laughs> is strong, and I love and it. And then when he was looking yeah. at all of like the old wardrobe with Anthony Price, like correcting Anthony oh, Price, like, yeah. this was no, this was from 1982, yeah. not 1983. Yeah. Yeah. Anthony Price had it all. Oh, wrong. yeah, he Nick. Yeah. Anthony Price was in a different world at that time. That's so funny to me. <laughs> and oh, Anthony did say that Duran were the first band to insist on a clothing budget, yeah. and I totally yeah. believe oh, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, mm-hmm. What did what they talk about? Simon's gray velvet cloak that was the very cloak, Midsummer yes. Night's Dream. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and JT said that they would look for ladies' clothes that would fit them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. No, Nick said that they would fit them. Get those ruffly blouses. And I love, I love the part where Simon was in the, in the church listening to himself in the little, the little boy choir yeah. and his beautiful voice. You know, when, he, when he walked up to his choir master, <laughs> when he walked up to him and we commented on it, it was like okay. he was, it's like he was back okay. to being that young boy walking up to his twa- choir master to shake his hand. You could just see it in his it body language. It seemed like he started like, walking faster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then when he was listening, he was just sort of breaking it down and like, oh, you know, you can tell I lost my breath and, you know, all that stuff. And it's like he was still critiquing himself, you know, and kind of... 50 years later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is the part where, and I think I mentioned this, I'm like, this is where you realize that at such a young age, Simon learned to take control of his voice, and it makes sense how he can perform so well to this day live, mm-hmm. and how he sounds so good, um, because he took what he learned back in that church choir and still applies it to today. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very admirable, and I have a ton of mad respect for Simon because, again, no one sounds like Simon. No, mm-hmm. no one. And when you think about it, how good does Simon sound live? Yeah. And it all traces back and to his voice. His hasn't voice changed. Hasn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Like Boy George's voice to me has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, Sting's voice is still the same. Um, Bono's voice is still the same. But the, I'm, I think I'm just comparing it to when I heard Boy George last versus listening to Simon. Simon's voice hasn't changed. Except for a beautiful. Kill. We can't listen to a Vito kill. <laughs> we can't do a Vito kill. That is a change. Everything else right. but a Vito kill. <laughs> With the exception <laughs> of a Vito kill. <laughs> but Move right. his voice is so strong and it, it is still strong. projects and he, see, he sings. He actually yeah. sings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? I mean, what? You can't really name that many bands that have been around for 40 years where the lead singer actually still sings. Correct. Live, right? right, right, right. You know? mm-hmm. And it sounds amazing. You know, I mean, like when we saw them in San Antonio and we were there in the front row and like we could hear him yep. oh singing gosh. without, oh like it yes. was separated like yes, yes. from the mic. You could yes, hear yes. him, lo- you know what yes. I mean? And that 
man, I, I will, I will never forget that experience yeah. to hear, yeah. to witness and, and, and see him and hear him sing. Well, he's, you know what I mean? Outside of the amplification to us. Right. Outside of the amplification of a microphone, you know, and it was. Because um, he's a vocalist. Absolutely. And like Stephanie was saying, like it started at a very young age mm-hmm. and he's, you know, he's worked on that talent and you hear these like Pat Benatar started out with opera training. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them that start out, they have formal training and they can go in and they can have a longevity. I saw um, David Lee Roth two weeks ago in Las Vegas and he is a showman, not a singer. And he is still a showman. The singing is a little rough. Is he still doing the kicks? He did kicks. (laughs) He didn't fly in on anything. He He did did the kicks? Well, it wasn't quite as high. And he did not do the flying, like the split yes, jump, yes, yes. but he did kick some. Okay. And the show was there. The vocal <laughs> quality. Yes. <laughs> the vocal quality was not as much there, but it, so that's the thing. You you see some artists and and it's there, and then some. It's just the show. And I think Simon can do both. He gives you the show, and he he can tries dance. to dance. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, John tries to dance occasionally oh, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It brings me such joy. Yes. It yes. really does. Okay, so one thing though, in the in the documentary, Boy George, yes. like was very complimentary throughout yes. the whole documentary. Yes. He did call them the Birmingham Peacocks, which I thought that was cute coming from Boy George, oh, who was like the yeah, peacock yeah. of peacocks. Like yeah. he yeah, admired yeah, 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 them yeah, yeah, yeah. for that. Um, what's funny is too, I kind of I'm documentary back to back. Um, the Band-Aid documentary that came out a few years ago, which was the 20th anniversary of Band-Aid. Boy George was considered like the star at the time because Karma Chameleon had just peaked and um, Bob really wanted Boy George to be there. And he says, Boy George says in this documentary that there had been such con- con- um, contention. contention, yes, between him and Simon that whenever he, Boy George, and there's a whole story about how Boy was late and all this stuff, um, when Boy finally arrived at the recording of Do They Know It's Christmas, he the first person he saw was Simon, and he was like, let's smash across the room, as, and they walk up the stairs together, and that, that whole part of the documentary and everything that we've seen a hundred times. But I thought that was interesting, because he made it a point at that point to sort of make sure everyone knew that he was a, a friend of Simon, he was a friend of the band and all that. So it's kind of interesting to see this in this documentary and how, boy, he's like a major part of this documentary. Yeah. I mm-hmm. He's in mm-hmm. quite a few segments, mm-hmm. and he is extremely complimentary. Yeah. It's interesting that they didn't have any other artists. Right, exactly. In this documentary, so yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> I'd well, like to know one. one. And yeah, I just thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. And then when they started talking about the videos, I, I found it interesting when they said MTV had asked the, the Barrows, their managers, for something like a James Bond film. And then they ended up, they said, in Sri Lanka, working on, you know, Hungary and um And Russell Mulcahy said um, doing yeah. videos with Duran Duran was like doing a travel, what do you A mean? travel log with a giant camera. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, it's true. And we, I mean, and, you know, we touched on this before in previous podcasts that, you know, seeing Duran videos back when we were kids. Kids, that was our, you know, some of our first windows to the world. Yeah. You know, I'm a travel agent tra- you know, all my life. If you yeah. hadn't traveled before, you didn't know about Sri Lanka until you saw a Duran video because then you went and did the research and you're like, where are where they? Is this, you yeah. know, where's, where's, where is <laughs> Sri Lanka? Antigua. What is, yeah, where's yeah, Antigua? Antigua? 
Um, and so that sent you off into, I want to be a jet setter. Mm-hmm. I want to go to these exotic places. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one else was doing videos like that. No. Did I tell you guys I had a student recently from Sri Lanka? No. Really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. She's so fantastic. She's a Bollywood dancer. <laughs> really? And she's obsessed with the Backstreet Boys. And I, Interesting. Wow. I love you. I, I love didn't you. see I that love coming. I love you so much. I love you so much. Yeah. She's fantastic. And we talked about the shrines and the, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 all that stuff, which she hasn't been back, she said, in quite some time. But, yeah. Oh, wow. Anyway. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Um, I was oh. thinking about the documentary and the timeline. Obviously, it had to go from early to late. So it went from, what, the first album to Rio. And one thing I noted was Nick saying, she's got a very lucky smile. And today I realized he said, she's got a very lucky smile for us. That's an iconic album. And I've already mentioned that I think Notorious was, at least at one point in my life, Notorious was my favorite. If they were to do a 40-year thing and do a whole album in its entirety, I think everybody would expect it to be Rio. What do you guys think? Yes. I think that's a consensus, <laughs> consensus yeah. um, that I've heard amongst the Duran community in different forums that I follow. Um, and I would, most definitely wouldn't be mad at it. Um, you know, I'd love to hear Seven and the Ragged Tiger uh, in its entirety just because that album is sentimental to me because that was actually the first physical um, Duran album that I ever owned. So it has sentimental value to me. I still need to hear Shadows on Your Side live. Hello. Um, hello. <laughs> I think I've mentioned that before. That is like one of my favorite songs of all time. But I wouldn't be mad at Notorious either now that you mentioned well, that. Well, I, I think Seven and the Ragged Tiger though, because first number one single. Well, I guess, is there something I should know is first number one single? And it's got a weird place yeah. on the album. Between. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I but I mean, going back to what the Cure did, they did three albums in three nights. Well, I mean, I if we're gonna if we're gonna be pie in the sky, let's get the Duran first album, let's get Rio, and let's get Ooh, Seven the Ragged Tiger three nights in a row. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna say, I mean, if you really think about it, the time to complete the Rio album is what. It's it's An only like maybe? it's right. only like eight hour, songs, so that's nothing. You, you could, could do two albums, three and one album. potentially. Well, okay, and so I just saw Aha doing Hunting High and Low, and mm-hmm. what they did was the first half was Hunting High and Low, mm-hmm. second half was an assortment of songs, yeah. including new songs, and they had so an intermission. So really, too. if they do it, they're not just doing a nostalgia play with right. Rio. Right. 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 You do it, and then you bring in then some new fun and stuff up. and mix. But I think that would be. Yeah, awesome. I, but I did appreciate it in album order because we were talking about listening to vinyl earlier, and there's just something about when you sit and listen to an album in the exact order, A side to B side there's something there. And so I appreciate when they do it in the exact order because people that have listened to these records like that, but then stop, pause, and let's hit the ground and let's do something yeah, new. Yeah, it's just like, you yeah. Know, so I, I don't remember where I heard this. I think it was on DDM. I have recently re-upped my fan club membership. I have yet to listen to all of their end of year um, things, but it was just before that. John mentioned this is a nostalgia thing, this 40 years. I'm not really interested in that. We're still making new music. We're still relevant. So the idea of us talking about this is great. It could be both. I don't think it's he both. Wants, he won't, I, I won't do it. I, I, I would, do I, it. yeah, we're talking, yeah. agreed. We're talking about it. And I, I, I just, I would be extremely surprised if anything yeah. like that happened. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't do expect it. that. I'm not going to hold my breath because mm-hmm. I just don't expect that. No, I mean, that. I don't, I, I would agree with you. I don't, too, want but it. I don't, I don't necessarily expect it. That's just a dream um, scenario for all of us out there. And yeah, the first three albums in its entirety would not suck 
at all. As we know, you know, they're working on their 15th uh, Duran album with uh, Mr. Maroder coming out. Ah, and Maroder uh, yes, being the first Duran Yes, album. I mean, which is so full circle. Mm-hmm. It's so full circle. I don't like full circle, though, because it can't be a close circle. Well, no, I mean, this is not, not yes, close. no, it's not close. Okay. But, I mean, and I And I will be there. We know that. Yeah. So <laughs> is he part of this record? Do we know? Yet? I don't know. I don't think he is yet. Oh, oh, I don't. We don't know that yet. Um, mm-hmm. That wouldn't suck if he was. Yeah. <laughs> and some, and something tells me, as you know, there, as he alluded to in the previous podcast, he, that is his second family. Mm-hmm. So that wouldn't be mm-hmm. shocking if he had some kind of uh, involvement in the DD15. Um, we're just we're excited. We're excited. I know we talked about the the Mr. Moritter, and um, it's very exciting. We saw a little uh, little preview of that from was it Roger that mentioned that um, and that Duranesty. Well, and Giorgio out. mentioned it. Yeah, yes, 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 yeah, yeah. He actually he's said, recently I'm said, like just sort of sort of flippant casually. And I'm working with Duran Duran, and we've got three songs I'm working on. So yay! Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, we're talking about Giorgio Moroder, who is a musician, a producer who was very influential, and I feel you know like with. Um, Techno, electronic music, um, disco. disco. Yeah. He produced Donna Summer, Love to Love You. So he's got an extensive history and um, how do you say it? Discography. Discography. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so look him up if you don't know who he is, because um, because you'll know. Every chances song are you, he's you, ever been part of. You will yeah. know. Um, you've heard music that he's done. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Which totally makes sense. I mean, it's about time. You know, Dran, Roder, Nile, it's all that same time frame, right? That same influence. It just totally makes sense. <gasps> now it makes he me wonder a... when they did this documentary, and I even wrote down this note, Maroder esque. It makes me wonder if they were working with him at that time. Or trying to. Yeah, they Maybe they were trying, were trying to. to. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. He did uh, American Gigolo, Scarface. So anyway, I I feel love. I just every time I think Mm -hmm. of him, I think of that song. Okay, so in the video or in the documentary, then they move into the wedding album, and I liked when they said that with Ordinary World, they got a foot into another decade. Yeah. And I think we were talking about that. They were showing the video, and a couple of us exactly remember seeing that video and kind of knowing that they were back. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that a little bit, like. And I think Nick Egan worked on that too, and they interviewed him around that same time. I think he worked on the cover and different pieces of it. But and some of the video. Mm-hmm. Some of the video, yeah. What did y'all think about that part? I mean, I remember that time frame because that was kind of, um, you know, obviously Andy and Roger had had been gone for some time. Big Thing had been released. Um, Liberty had been released, and not a lot of people knew about Liberty. So when um, you know the wedding album came out, it was like a breath of fresh air. I personally remember different friends calling me up, knowing how big of a Duran Duran fan that I was, calling me up and congratulating me that my <laughs> band was back. And I'm like, well, thank you. I didn't have anything to do have with they this. Gone <laughs> you know, of course, in my world, they hadn't left, but um, but I knew what they were referring to, and it's very true because it kind of like re-entered um, the consciousness of some people mm-hmm. that maybe had dropped off um, with the release of Big Thing and Liberty. Um, and obviously picked up a whole new generation yes. of fans. I mean, a lot of people that we know of now who are fans are friends from that point. Correct. They're not, you know, they're not as old as we are maybe or something. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. In that time frame, you know, also we were talking about I was in college at that time. Um, in that time period, I remember seeing Duran at the Starplex in Dallas in 1993. So at that time, that was only my second time seeing Duran live um, at that point. So I was super excited because I had not seen them um, for five years at that point. No, about was four John, years. Was John's hair orange? It was red. 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 Yes. And did, oh, yeah. did Terrence yeah. Trent Darby open for yeah. that and one? And Terrence Trent Darby so opened. So I was there for that. Yeah. For yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I saw them at the Irwin Center like a few months later, and the Cranberries opened oh, on wow. that one. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if I saw that. I didn't see that one. I didn't no. know if they came to the Irwin Center. Too. Yeah. Oh, I I rest in peace, Dolores. Yeah. Again, but um, I wrote down that Simon quoted, "The ordinary world is getting over the death of a friend," and my sister had just passed in February of '93, and it's kind of like he knew, like when he's saying this in retrospect of writing the song that he was writing a song that everyone was going to connect with. Mm -hmm. And it's weird because um, just before this part in the documentary, John's talking about Simon's Mm -hmm. lyrics being kind of quirky and out there, and um, that's what made the music interesting. And then the (laughs) the music... The, the lyrics get more like adult or straightforward by the personal. time we get to hear. And it is, it is a little more personal. And I think even if you go to like None of the Above, which is one of my favorite songs on that album, he's questioning his faith at that point. And it's because of all the things that he's gone through and all these, it's very personal and it's very adult. And Stephanie and I were talking about this before. We were like early 20s or something yeah. at this time. Mm-hmm. And it was like the perfect time for us to start considering these things. We were just becoming our adult selves at that point. And these guys were, you know, after that point and writing music about it now. It's very funny you say that about not none of the above because now I was just thinking that, you know, you're so right where we're just, we are coming into our own. You're, you're just. And maybe in that late college stage mm-hmm. and now you're venturing out into the world and you, you know, and, and Simon says, I am, I am, I am, I am myself alone mm-hmm. because now you are now navigating the world, you know, as yourself, you're not necessarily in your parents' house anymore, possibly. Um, and you're, you're, you're graduating from college and you're, you know, maybe getting your first major job, starting to maybe pay the bills on your own. So gosh, I just realized mm-hmm. How what relevant. a perfect yes. time that was. Oh, yeah. Simon Le Bon. <laughs> well, and Simon talks about, you know, after that big high they had at the very beginning, hearing that first time that was kind of a rejection and kind of the music oh. director is going in a different way. And he's like, the first time it really hurt. The then you got over it. And then the mm-hmm. second time, it still hurt. But they were like, we're making music we still love. We can still do it. Let's keep going. And Are I mean, we still making music mm-hmm. that we yeah. Right. And I think that is such an mm-hmm. allegory for life. Yeah. And do we mm-hmm. still do we do we still have something? Do I still have something to inside to to, to to express and to say? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. Yes, we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and absolutely, mm-hmm. it is because it, it comes it comes with as you get older. You know, you just your perspective changes mm-hmm. and evolves, and you know, it's just you come into your own, and you're like, you know what? I, I we still we're gonna just keep going. Yeah. And we're gonna yeah. keep going. Yeah. And okay. keep going. Yeah. And keep going. going. Yeah. Okay, so to wrap up this session on this documentary, is there something we should know by the BBC that's been on Showtime lately? What's your favorite little moment that's popping into your head? I think Roger on the balcony looking very beautiful. <laughs> it's my favorite moment. What are y'all's favorite moments? <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know my. that I can take just one. I yeah. I don't know. I Pick one. Think about that for a second here. I, I, go ahead. I think I, I really when they were in the Citron, I, I, I like that. But I would say the mo the, the really the really candid moments, yeah. the really just moments where they're just. And this is not to say that they're not they're not ever being themselves, but it's just they're. It's just natural, and they're laughing, and like I love seeing that. It's almost like I'm—I almost feel like voyeuristic. Yeah, kind of voyeuristic. Like, like I almost feel bad for you know. It's an not inside bad, look into just, the brotherhood. Yeah, and just into seeing those moments—that's—that's mm-hmm. that's my favorite. And just to see them laughing and and just in the natural state. Loving, know? loving love being, and to say I'm sorry to cut you off, Dee, but I would agree with you. Um, probably as a whole. Loving to see them in their in their natural element when they're amongst themselves and that there's still a love for each other and there's still a brotherhood makes me so happy because then that allows us to continue to go to shows and listen to new music and, you know, meet all these fantastic journeys that we continue to meet as time has gone on when you know how bad it got at one point. Yeah. So to see oh, how, yeah, <laughs> so controlling and angry. Yeah, but to know that it had gotten to a point where it started off as this brotherhood, and they all mentioned how you know they were all on the same page when they were sitting in the sitcom. They've been so close. Yeah, they've been so close before. just years before. So you know how bad it got to the point where obviously Roger and Andy left, and then John, you know, John eventually left as well. To now you've come full circle, you know, you're on their, they're on their 14th album at that point and they're back to being a brotherhood and they're back to loving each other and enjoying each other's company. That's probably, um, that's, yeah, I would agree. I'm going to wrap that up momentarily, but I have to say the uncontrollable giggling. Yes. In the Citroen and then when Roger and Simon are playing pool Mm -hmm. makes my heart so happy. When Simon and Andy are hugging each other and Simon and Andy are saying how much they love each other, makes my heart so happy. Mm-hmm. The Budokan um, show, um, documentary footage, and the because it's so close to me historically, how I felt the first time I saw the reunited Duran Duran, going to make me cry right now. Mm-hmm. But just to wrap it all up, John says in the documentary, the four of us, still have this incredible belief in ourselves. And that's why they keep doing this, which is why we're still here. So yay for them and yay for us for making this happen. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to the Cherry Ice Cream Smile podcast. We are so glad you could hang out with us for a little while. Please subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favorite podcast player. And make sure to follow us on Instagram too. See you again real soon.